Welcome everyone. Welcome to this Substantial Life episode on technology and transhumanism. If you haven't heard of the phrase transhumanism before, it is a idea that we can somehow achieve human flourishing through technology. We will soon go into that a bit more, but before we start thinking about that, let's think about technology in general. What is technology and how do we relate to it? I think a great example of technology that has had a profound influence on human society would be the technology of fire. Now, we might not always think of it as a technology, but fire is one of those ancient devices that human beings have discovered and which has profoundly influenced us and the way we live as human beings. Technology has this weird way how we use technology to change the environment we live in, but by doing that, it actually changes the way we are as a society. Using technology initially was not only a way of keeping warm, but has become a sign of society. If you would think, for example, in the Afrikaner culture, the significance of a braai. It's something to gather around and enjoy with family, to cook food, and just thinking about cooking food, that has also influenced us in the way our teeth has developed and how we are other and different than other creatures now. The philosopher of technology, Kopp, wrote that technology is like an extension of our arm. It's how we go further than ourselves. So thinking about fire is, the fire is an extension of our desire to change the way things work. For example, you see a piece of metal and you have the idea of, let's say, making a door and you desire that. So you use technology, namely fire, on the environment with some other technologies like smithing and you end up making a door for some purposes. And these purposes can be good or bad. You can use a door to keep people out or to keep people in and keep them safe. So the idea that I'm getting here, Pierre, is that the technology is something where we have an idea in our mind. Say we see a piece of meat and we think we would like to eat it, but we know that raw meat is not good. And then we use technology as an intermediary, as something in between, that does something that our hands and feet cannot do in order to realize that idea, cooked food. And then in a similar manner, for example, a door does the action of keeping people out or in something which if you would want to have to do that with your own body, you would need to stand in the doorway the whole time. And I mean, most of us think that's pretty absurd, but if you want to keep people out, you either have to have a right technology or you need to do it yourself. And what, what was also interesting for me when you mentioned the braai, now braai, I mean, it's, it's a worldwide thing where people come together cooking food on a fire. So fire has not only become something in which people use for a specific aim, it has become kind of the center of a social activity. A place where you can clearly see this idea of a thing that was initially made for some purpose, like for example a car to transport, but now has become almost a social thing, is the idea of a car show, or the idea of TV shows about cars, where a technology which was initially only practical has now become social or aesthetic, you know, it has become something that people do 
because they think a car might look good or not good. So technology has profound effects on how we look at life. Agriculture, compared to hunter-gathering, has a completely different lifestyle. And so your technology for getting food affects whether or not you build cities. And then in turn, this technology profoundly influences how we gather and how we organize ourselves socially. For example, if you have a, a sedentary society, you actually you're more able to form a state. Sedentary? So sedentary means sitting. Sitting. Yeah, like a... Not moving. A fixed society. Okay. It's a sedentary okay. society. Okay, okay. And if you have a sedentary society, you're more able to form a state. And a state allows for different forms of regulation. Exactly on that no note, though, as we previously discussed, technology in itself, I would submit, is usually not good or evil, but is used for good or evil. If you think of fire, fire has the ability to group entire peoples together and have a wonderful time. You can have a wonderful party, you can feed great amounts of people, but at the same time, fire has been used to, to burn people to, as a form of execution. It has been used to, in war, it has been used for great destruction throughout our history. The very same thing we use to form our metal pillars that we build our houses on today is the same technology used to break them down. Mm. So this shows that the, the human agent is an important part of how the technology is used. And, and notice here that we have not yet spoken about electronics. Most people nowadays, when they speak about technology, they speak about mobile phones and computers. But that's actually a very narrow view of technology. Technology is any type of action or object in which we use our thinking, our rational capacities to change reality. So technology can either be some object like a glass or a car, or it can be a social construction. For example, a university is a type of technology. It's a thought through way of educating and researching. And this did not always exist. People had to think out that way of organizing people. And returning to the example that Kopp gives, if you think about language, that's an extension of your thought life into reality in order to change it. So it's not really that it's something completely separate from you. Or turning to technology in the sense of electronics, although the computer stands separate from you, when we want to use computers or when computers run, an, they are an extension of either some other human being or from yourself doing certain things. If you run a program, that's the extension of somebody else who impinged their thoughts upon reality by writing a program. What's interesting is how technology literally becomes an extension of your arm. You mentioned that earlier. I, when I, when I do my research, I don't think let me type this math equation. I just think, what is this, the answer of this equation? Then click, 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 and boom, I get the answer and I use it for something else. You, you stop thinking about the technology as something separate of you when you use it. I mean, we get emotional reactions when our phone notification goes off. I mean, that's very funny. How, how is it that our phone is linked to my dopamine in my brain? That's such a funny thought. It's, there's no direct cable. 
but we as humans have this natural inclination to see how a technology can be used and to incorporate it almost in our sense of having a body, to incorporate it into our sense of affecting the world around us. And from this, we see how technology is what the philosopher calls contingent. It's dependent upon human beings. It's not independent from human beings. It's constantly needing this input from humans to make it exist. Otherwise, it would cease to exist because things break down. Things stop existing. In the last few decades, the, the reason why people speak about technology often about electronics is because electronics type of devices has made significant changes around how we do our lives. If you can walk into the office of a bank clerk in the 1960s, they would have piles and piles and piles of paper. They would probably be very good with calculations in their head and they would have a very quick handwriting. In the modern times, a bank clerk merely has a computer who does the handwriting and the filing for the clerk. The clerk merely has to press buttons to put things in and out. The job has changed significantly. The same has happened with science. You don't do experiments in the same way that you used to do it in the 1960s because we automate, we let some electronic device do a lot of the things that used to take a lot of time for scientists and now we do other things. And so this idea that electronic devices have a huge influence on how we live and that it will continue having a huge influence has caught the attention of many people. Some have thought that the computers that we have, will they ever reach a point where they are able to think better than people? Will there come a stage where the technology that we have will not be contingent anymore? That is a thought that some people have had. Another thought is will there become a time when the lines between machines and people will become very blurry? So Job, in this process of human beings making technology more effective and then in order to make ourselves more effective, you're basically asking, will there become a point that the technology becomes so effective that it's more effective than human beings? Well, um, obviously we're completely speaking hypothetical in this regard. Uh, computers cannot think, but we have seen cases where technology has become more effective than people, like farming. You can have one tractor that can farm a whole field in a significantly shorter time than many workers. You can also have a computer nowadays that is linked to a GPS that can tell the tractor when to move where, so you don't even need a driver. And you can also have a supply line that can move the food from the tractor into the warehouse you can have robots that move the food from the warehouse to the trucks and you can have a self-driving truck. There are self-driving trucks in certain parts of America that can drive all the way to the shop and then you can have a robot to deliver it to the shop and you can sell it without a person doing the scanning. So entire supply chains can be automated. But if I continue in the thought of how technology has changed much human activity, so I just gave the example of basically a farming food supply line. But, and we often think that, okay, maybe something like farming can be automated. Maybe building cars can be automated. But a lawyer and a doctor will always have jobs. That is also being put into question nowadays. They have been developing certain computer algorithms that can use case data from doctors 
to predict what type of illness a patient has with a greater accuracy than doctors. The fact of the matter is, sicknesses is a predictable enough, it's, it's very difficult, but it's still predictable enough that a computer can judge it with greater accuracy than a doctor because a computer doesn't get tired or have biases, you know, certain doctors would never prescribe a certain thing and computers don't get affected by things like medical aid or other influences. There is development of a computer programs that are doing similar jobs than doctors. The same can be said of lawyers. There is actually a machine learning algorithm that looks at case files and does a lot of the administration that normally takes big portions of lawyers' times. In the 1800s, significant amounts of factory workers' jobs were lost by something like factory robots. But now we are starting to see that into more and more sectors of life. You can even have a computer to make ads for you. They can make videos that you can then use for your advertising, so you don't need to use a graphical designer. When I listen to these examples, I can't stop wondering if it's not just a human being using a computer to imitate other human beings. At no point it would seem to me that the computer is actually the one using agency, you know, impinging its will upon reality. It's rather like another human being impinging their will onto reality, and that is to imitate other human beings. So basically what you're getting is now instead of doctors being doctors, you get IT technicians being doctors. That it is completely true that even if we would have the food supply line that is automated, you would still need technicians to fix the tractors and the pipes and everything. And you'd still need IT guys to fix the internet that the tractor uses and the GPS. This is something that is not often mentioned in this type of discourse, but the amount of human activity that goes into technological development. The purpose of this discussion is we need to ask the question, each one of us, how do I relate to technology and in which ways is it changing me? And is it changing me towards the good or towards the evil? That is the question we should ask. A almost overused example <laughs> is how media changes us. Although I must say, to a great extent, we don't necessarily stress that enough. The type of shows you watch affects your views on romantic relationships, on money, on meaning, on purpose. The type of media we engage with does affect how we think about life. Now, similarly, the way we engage with other technologies like cars, me and my wife, we go around in bicycles most of the time. And we have a specific way in which we relate to the town Poch. If you are on a bicycle, you experience the road significantly more, you experience the weather, and you experience the distance more than on a car. There are some benefits to that. When the flowers are out, you see it and you appreciate it. And on the other hand, distances are significantly further and weather is a bit colder when it's winter than it would be if you were in a car. So if we would get a car, our relationship to the outside world will change. And we don't often think about this. And sometimes we get technologies that we think will benefit us, but that change that is happening subconsciously is not actually beneficial for us. Because if I would stop biking, I would need to put in exercise into my routine. And if I don't do that, I will have negative effects. Other ways we see this playing out 
is with people and extreme gaming where you get addicted to these games and you end up wasting your time or the great and awesome technology of having a phone has ended up bankrupting a lot of the Christian church in Maine who actually have a good idea of sexuality because of the huge availability of pornography and the type of effect it has on human beings you end up with many young people, men and women, who end up becoming addicted to porn. And that, on the other hand, has a very negative effect on their idea of romance. And so that shows you that our relationship to technology is a moral one. And we don't often think in that way. You need to consider how was the technology produced on the one hand? Was it morally produced? You know, if I'm speaking through a microphone on this podcast, but this microphone was made by slave workers, Am I doing a right thing by using this microphone, if I'm, especially if I know this? Even if it's the case with shoes or shirts or cars. And then the second question is using technology in a moral way. Now, if we go back to this idea of technology developing and in our own lifetime, I would say information technology specifically has developed significantly. If I remember in 2007, when I saw a green Nokia phone without internet access, that's a completely different thing than a smartphone, which many young people have nowadays. So the way we relate to information is changing and some people and they have done this already about 50 or 60 years ago, have seen this rapid development in information technology. And they have said that they believe that technology will come to a point where it will change so rapidly that life will be completely strange. They specifically point to artificial intelligence, the idea that you can have a computer that thinks for itself or makes decisions without human input, or mind-body interface. Now this is something that simultaneously excites me and creeps me out. And it's this fact that you can use electronics to read the brain signals from people and that can affect the electronics. For example, there are people that have prosthetic arms that they can move by thinking. It's connected to their nerves and so they can think, move my arm, and then a robot arm moves. There are people who have these things. There's even a man who has hooked up his hand to a robot arm, but then he moved it, but the arm was on another continent. So the signals were moved through the internet and then the hand moved. There are also people who do surgeries non-locally. So they do surgeries with a robot. They control this, the robot with uh, joysticks and things, but that's not so crazy as this thought that you can have something directly into your brain. And how long until we start, instead of having our thoughts being 
sent out to these prosthetic arms or to computers or you know controlling let's say in a game controlling some avatar but you start going the other way around you start having things played in your mind instead of using a screen and then you get the uncomfortable thought of you know having advertisement during your sleep if you could tweet by thinking well we already technically tweet by thinking we think well, let me write a tweet and then well that's if you think before you tweet <laughs> and and so there are some people who have seen this type of developments and they are saying that technology will inevitably lead to a utopia or a paradise. And that by developing technology, we can remove disease, we can remove poverty, we can remove any type of systematic ills in life, and we can have heaven on earth. Others believe that technology will inevitably go to such a point where it will cause us to live in a dystopia or a very bad world. Elon Musk, a famous futurist, someone who thinks often about the future and speaks about it in a public discourse, he also owns a rocket company and an electric car company and some other things. He believes that people should hook their minds to computers because when computers get aware, because he believes computers will become self-aware in the future, then we will at least be connected to them and they won't completely eliminate humanity. Now that sounds like sci-fi, it is sci-fi, but we are living in a sci-fi reality. Have you ever thought of the fact that you can call someone on the other side of the planet? There is a movie called 2001, A Space Odyssey. It's about a group going to space. And in the early parts of the movie, one of the main characters calls his daughter in real time on a screen. And when that movie came out, there was supposed to be a sci-fi thing. This idea that you can call someone over a screen. Uh, while he was on the moon and she was on earth but we do that now at some points in the very very early star treks the idea of having a mobile phone was something of the far future where they would pick up this little thing they would open up and then call a communicator they called it in the movies and that was something crazy like can you think of having a piece of technology you can communicate with to people in space, for example, and not have it connected with these huge amount of lines and stuff like that, like a telephone was at that point. Yeah, so th they are really crazy things happening. And we would encourage you, dear listener, do consider how crazy many of the things are that we take for granted. This morning when me and Ida were walking, I was like thinking, how do animals see cars? Like, how do you, because it's this big piece of mountain rolling around and, and you can't even see its legs moving. It's just rolling. And it's, it's such a strange thought, actually, if you think about it. So these people who think that we can either find salvation or hell in technology, they are grouped into a class, they call it transhumanists. Now, a trans means to transcend or to be above. The idea transhumanists have is that technology will help us to be more than human. Somehow to be post-human, they might say. Basically, a transhumanist believes technology can lead to utopia. And there are people in the modern days that believe that. If we just develop the right technology, have the right systems in place, then the world will be how it should be. I think this desire for a better world and to have a better society and to use whatever we can to achieve that is a wonderful thing. I think all of us should have that desire for you know, to some extent, heaven on earth. 
until you understand what Christians mean by heaven and you know that not to be possible here. But if you think about making a society which is free from many of the different forms of mistreatment and pain and suffering we suffer in today's life, it would be a wonderful thing. I, I think it's good that they have that desire. And you have the opposite problem as well. You, you have the people who fear the dystopia. But in both cases of those, it's about how we use our technology. It is, absolutely. And this idea that technology will inevitably bring around a better life. Often those people, I don't think they've been around people with technology. That sounds very funny. I mean, we got nuclear bombs and we used it. There are, there are many types of times where we get some technology and we abuse it rather than using it for public good. It's this paradox we have with humanity where we would have, as you say, the nuclear bomb or the nuclear reactor. We can either use it to destroy entire cities or to power them on a relatively clean energy source. So it's this constant problem with humanity. And I think in that lies, to some extent, the answer to our problem is for the transhumanists, there are two big threats. There's the threat from inside, the bad human being, and the threat from outside, global warming or some natural catastrophe like an asteroid hitting Earth. So you have these two problems, the problem from the outside or the fear from the danger of the outside and the fear from the danger from the inside. And I think that developing the right societal technologies and monitoring systems will end up removing the evil and the bad in life and create this perfectly balanced society. And then also having this technology to protect the earth and defend us and help solve the problems of global warming will just take away all of the external issues that we have. And then people will be happy in this world. Yeah, that's the thought they have. But it's funny. I mean, you can't use a fire to make you a loving husband. No, a fire can never make you kind. Technology left to its own devices in some human society does not necessarily lead to good or necessarily lead to evil. It's people who use it. And this idea that you can somehow use technology to make people better is a misunderstanding of both technology and humankind. Now, some of these guys, they might think if we develop the right psychological procedures, you know, we have everyone see a psychoanalyst and the psychoanalyst has a computer that understands us. And they can use that to make sure that we don't have any type of unhappiness or anything like that. Then we will have a perfect society. That thought should disturb you. <laughs> if you think about having some computer pry your mind and remove the parts that somebody else decided is problematic. <laughs> I, that sounds pretty horrible. And there's actually, there's two type of books that speak about a dystopian future based on technology. Two famous books. The one is 1984 by George Orwell and it speaks about a surveillance state. So the idea that you have a government that sees everything the people do does and they try to make people never even speak in a wrong way because they have cameras everywhere. And this is happening in reality at, as we are speaking. In China people are getting, people can get fines for walking over the road automatically because a computer does a camera on the road does facial recognition and when they get over the road they get an sms that they just got a fine 
John Lennox, a famous mathematician and apologist, spoke about a type of social currency in China, about how you get a number of rating based on how agreeable or disagreeable you act according to the government. And that can affect how much you pay for your train tickets and how easily you get a job. And this is something that we are seeing. And there's a different side to this technology, technology taking over the world for bad. And there's a book written by Aldous Huxley called Brave New World. It's a book about a world where people live for pleasure and pleasure alone. And that the whole world is catered towards pleasure. And in this world, people take a drug that doesn't affect them negatively, um, but it just makes them happy. It makes them never be anxious about anything. But what, what Aldous Huxley realized is that if people just live for pleasure all the time, they will be like children, like very foolish children. And these people, it's very funny. In the story, they have babies and they put books on the shelf. And if the babies crawl towards the books, if they touch the books, they get a shock. And it's like in the story, the world kind of tries to train kids against thinking because then they will work against the system. And we are seeing this type of pleasure driven technological dystopia in the West, in our constant consumption with YouTube and social media and all the things that we are addicted to breeds a type of shallow human. And that's something we should be aware of. Those are two very interesting and very difficult books, um, which I would recommend, Brave New World and 1984. And if you think about this problem of only living for pleasure and never being allowed to, to suffer, I think, as you said, you would get very shallow human beings. There would never be an opportunity for training in excellences of pursuing something which is good and then doing it excellently to the point of becoming virtuous. Oh, you cannot have that. You, you wouldn't need patience. Or self-control. Is a world which we feel the maximal amount of pleasure really desirable? And that's just a short jab at utilitarianism. But what these authors saw rightly is that technology can lead to a type of hell on earth if not used well. What some of these transhumanists then argue is for a certain other form of eschatology or end time. The envisioning of this perfect society, which doesn't have any of these issues whatsoever. Even if that were to become true for the naturalist or the materialist, I think we'd still have quite a few problems. I think one of the main issues it suffers from is even if you can make life as pleasurable now as possible, there's still the ultimate heat death of the universe. And if life just ends here and everything is ultimately meaningless, then whether you feel pleasure now or not, it's subjectively meaningless now. And thinking that just because I can think it's pleasurable and nice now and actually have some form of meaning now is like the child building the sandcastle. You're make-believe or you're just acting as if there's meaning when ultimately there's no meaning whatsoever. And th this is one of the main problems with a form of atheistic or naturalistic or materialistic form of transhumanism is that it 
gives this idea of a paradise and a heaven which is ultimately meaningless. It doesn't deliver what it promises. And this is something to note. I've especially seen this in the developed countries where technology is much more in your face and things work a lot more than in South Africa. And people there actually believe that if the technology works well, we can have heaven. And what we're trying to show here is that it's a fallacious or a wrong way of thinking. It's not so simple. There's something deep inside of us that's wrong, that cannot be fixed by some external technology. And there's this longing deep in us to something more that no amount of technology will ever fulfill or ever give us satisfaction for. And so we want to encourage you, dear listener, on the one hand, be aware of this idea. Be aware that some people think that if we just have the right systems, if we just have the right technology, then the world will be as good as it should be. Note that that is partly true, but also naive. And then also we want to encourage you to take responsibility in your personal use of technology. And we're not just referring to electronics, but them as well. How you think about cars, how you think about electricity and about your speech. How, how are you affecting the world around you? And we would encourage you to stay conscious of the effect that technology has on your personal development as a human being. That technology, as you use this technology for good, that it also helps you in developing your virtues. And then when you have certain virtues that you can use to the good of others, to use technology to help you then to help others. If you are a great teacher and you teach great sense to people, then use technology to reach even more people. There's often a solution that someone else has thought of that we don't know of yet that could save us a lot of time. And that's very valuable. In my physics, often you have a problem and you're like, oh, I'm struggling with this so much. And then you find that someone else has already solved the problem. And, and then you can use what the other person has, has done to further our knowledge of, say, astronomy in my case. So there's a lot of value in collaborating like that. Um, and especially education, I think there's a lot of value in being technology wise with your education. Also, technology can do the inverse as well when you have a certain vice. So not just using technology when you have a certain virtue, but using technology if you, if you have a certain vice. Let's say you are not the type of person to be on time. You are often late. You can use technology to make up for that problem. If you are somebody who is forgetful, you can use a calendar app that reminds you. This way you can make up for certain shortcomings we, we all have and then thereby form a certain type of virtue in you. Because this constant writing down when I need to be somewhere, making sure I remember when that time is, that starts working on you and that helps you to build more virtue. Sure, I, I'm just realizing at the end of our discussion that there's a lot more here. There's a lot to think about, about how we use our technology and to be wise. Yeah. So that is the end of our episode. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. If you have any thoughts or comments, please send it to us. Uh, we would love to answer them and we hope you have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Substantial Life podcast. If you like this episode, please share this episode, leave a comment or ask us a question on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. 
You can also leave us a review wherever you find your podcasts. And remember, seek wisdom wherever it might be found.